Last week, in our hearts and our minds, we tried our best to to imagine what it would have been like to gather together with a handful of Jesus' closest friends and followers right at the foot of the cross. We noticed that that Mary, Jesus' mother, was standing right there. And we watched as she witnessed her miracle son give his life away for the sake of the world. There he was, the, the son of God. The only man who's ever perfectly lived out the unconditional love of his heavenly father. Nailed to a cross because of that love. Because of the power of that love. And the way that it threatened the people in positions of power. The decision makers. that They didn't know what that that love would ultimately demand of them. And so they wanted to silence him. And we may have noticed it. But it it may have been something we, we didn't actually notice. And that was that another Mary was there at the foot of the cross, in addition to Jesus' mother, Mary Magdalene. When so many of Jesus' other friends and followers couldn't find the courage to, to go to that place, it felt too risky. It felt like there were too many soldiers around. Mary needed to be close to Jesus. She, she found that the courage to be there no matter what. And there she is, hoping that somehow, some way, it will all stop unfolding. Praying that Jesus will, will somehow come down from the cross and be his old self again, full of life and light. But then she, she listens as he declares, it is accomplished. And, and then she watches as he, he gives up his spirit, he breathes his last and she watches the life leave his body, and it's, it's over. She knows that it's over. It can't be over, but it's, but it's over. Hours pass, and, and two of Jesus' followers, two men, they, they take his lifeless body down from the cross, and then they, they carefully and they tenderly wrap it in, in linen cloth, and then they anoint that cloth with fragrant spices and oils, And then they take his body to this new tomb in a little garden that's nearby. And then they leave. Now, if I had to guess, I'd say that the next day and the day after that, Mary Magdalene, she can't eat, she can't sleep, she can't think about anything else. There were so many things that she had been planning to to talk to Jesus about, so many questions that only he could answer, so many concerns that only he could address. Now what's she supposed to do? Who's she supposed to turn to? Who is she supposed to ask those questions to? Who, who can help her now that he's gone? Well, early on Sunday morning, just a few days after his death, Mary decides that she needs to go to his tomb. She needs, she needs to be close to him. Maybe she's... She's going to talk to him, even if he doesn't have anything to say back, even, even if there's no response. She, she doesn't know what else to, to do. She doesn't know where else to go. And so she gets up and she starts to make her way to that garden. It's early in the morning. The air is cool and crisp. The, the plants along the pathway are, are giving off this symphony of pleasing aromas. And you know, I... I know it sounds strange, but, you know, I, 
I bet anything that all of that beauty of the natural world around Mary that morning, it felt inappropriate. It had to kind of annoy her. The, the air and the sky and the flowers should know better than to be beautiful after all that's happened. And finally, she gets to his tomb and she's standing there. And it doesn't take long for her to notice that something, something's not quite right. The, the huge stone that had been rolled over the entrance to Jesus' tomb, it's been moved. It's, it's out of the way. And she assumes the worst. You know, the only reason somebody would move that stone is because they wanted to get inside that tomb. And, and she assumes that they would take Jesus' body someplace where she couldn't find it. And so with angry tears stinging her eyes, she, she runs away and she tries to find somebody to tell. She finds Peter and John, two friends and followers of, of Jesus. She tells them what's happened and, and they race off to see if, if what she's assumed is actually true. They get there And she's trying to keep up, but she's tired and she's out of breath. And by the time she gets to the tomb, Peter and John have already been there and they've seen what they're going to see and they've left. And so now she's back where she started and she's alone. She just wanted... She just wanted to be close to Jesus. She just wanted to have a place where she could go and talk to him, even if he never said a word back. And the, the sadness just overwhelms her and she starts to cry. And I know that's a really challenging place to start this morning, but if you've got a Bible with you, I'd ask you to open up to John chapter 20. We're going to start reading together in verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Dear woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. And at this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, same question, Woman, Why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. You know, every time I encounter this story, I am I'm filled with a sense of joy for Mary and what I know is about to happen to her, what, what I know she's about to experience. Because, you know, as, long as, as far back as I can think about my life of faith, I have known that the cross is always followed by the resurrection. In fact, even now, I cannot cleanly separate the two events. It's like they're two sides of the same coin. And yet, for Mary Magdalene, and for any of Jesus' first followers, that is not the experience that they'd had. 
You know, they, they didn't have the ability to know exactly what was going to happen next years later as they read the story. They were living it in real time. And so for them, the cross, what they had witnessed happening at the cross, it was this crushing blow to their faith. It was something that they couldn't escape. And the idea of, of Jesus' resurrection, I mean, it would have seemed like a wild wild bit of wishful thinking. And in fact, we can tell as we read the story that almost none of them even had a thought about resurrection. They had watched Jesus willingly give his life for the sake of the world. They had watched him die, and that was it. They, they didn't have any sense of what might happen next. It was such a shock to the system that, that it seems like all they can manage to feel is numbness. In fact, they are so certain that they're never going to see Jesus again. They're so convinced of that, that that every single time someone encounters the resurrected Jesus, they don't recognize him at first. I mean, he has to be patient. He has to give them some time to realize what's going on and that it is really him who's standing right in front of them. And I know there's a part of us that thinks, you know, after all they'd experienced, all they'd gone through with Jesus, they they probably should have seen it coming. But they don't see it coming. Mary Magdalene doesn't see it coming here in John chapter 20. And she's just been having a conversation with angels. I mean, there's a part of me that thinks, you know, if if I had a run-in with two angelic messengers from the throne room of heaven, I think I'd be catching on to the idea that something's up. Maybe you feel the same way. The reality is, even if we had a sense that something amazing was about to happen, it would have been impossible to predict exactly how amazing what happens next really is. A man walks up to Mary, and because she's standing in a garden, she assumes that he's the gardener. He asks her the same question that the angels just asked, you know, why are you crying? He asks her, you know, who are you looking for? And she responds with, with words that, that capture the, the greatest fear that she has, that someone has, has stolen Jesus' body away and she's not going to be able to find him. And she says, sir, if, if it's you, if you're the one who's taken his body away, just tell me where he is and I'll, I'll, go, I'll go gather his body and bring him back. She's, she's so distraught that she's not able to see that the one she's desperately trying to find is right there speaking to her. He's right, he's right there. And that's when it happens. He says her name, Mary. And you know, John, the author of this gospel, he doesn't explain Exactly what it is in the way Jesus says Mary's name that opens her eyes to realize that it's Jesus. But there's something about the way he says her name. Now maybe it's that he was able to say her name just the way he used to say it before everything went wrong. That he says it just the way he used to say it before the cross, before his death, and before the the emptiness and the loneliness came rushing into Mary's heart and soul in a way that made her feel like maybe she was never going to feel anything good ever again. I don't know exactly how he manages to say her name in a way that opens up her ability to see him. 
But that's exactly what happens. And you know, I, I never get tired of this moment when she realizes that it really is Jesus, her teacher, her savior, her friend, that he's alive, that he's there, that he's close. It's the one thing she's wanted to be close to, and there he is. And, and it means that if, if Jesus is alive and well, then Mary's reason for living, he's right there. She can reach out and touch him. And, and it's not just that, that her reason for living is, is renewed. It's not just that, that Jesus has new life, but it's also this moment where we realize there's a promise attached to Jesus' new life. It's this promise of, of new life for all of us. It's the promise of new life for the world. Her overwhelming sadness in a single second is turned into breathtaking joy. I never get tired of, of watching this moment unfold because I know that John tells us this story because he believes it's not just Mary's story, but it's the story that you and I get to be a part of. It's the story that we're, we're caught up in. This is the power of the resurrection, brothers and sisters. The Christmas story, it might begin in a manger, but it always carries us eventually to the cross. And it's not like it stops at the cross either. No, no. After the cross, we get to this place. We, we pass the shadow of death and the, the sadness that it brings. And always, we reach this place of resurrection. This new life for Jesus, for all of us, for the world. Mary mistakes the resurrected Jesus for a gardener because his tomb is in a garden. Now that might feel like it's a, a relatively small detail. But it is obvious as you read John chapter 20 that, that John wants us to make sure that we don't miss that detail. Right? That, that he wants us to, to realize that there is a significance in the setting as this scene unfolds, that there's an importance to the surroundings as Mary and Jesus are encountering one another. It is true, absolutely, that the miracle in this moment is that Jesus has overcome the power of death itself. But John wants us to add to that. He wants us to also notice that the place where we realize that is a place that reminds us of where everything in the world first went wrong. The garden. The Garden of Eden, and the tree of the, the knowledge of good and evil, and Adam and Eve, the two first human beings, reaching out to take a hold of, of the, the cursed fruit from that tree, reaching out because they have this insatiable desire for more and always more. It's never enough. What they have is never enough. And this constant desire for more, it, it ends up costing them everything. It pushes them to, to try to reach out and, and claim more knowledge, more power, more glory than they were created for. More knowledge and, and more power and more glory than they could ever actually handle. And in that fateful moment of selfish self-deception, they end up opening up this door for darkness 
and destruction and death. I mean, all of it, it's set loose into the world in that moment. And there is nothing they can do to fix it. There is nothing they can do to take it back. And it would have been better. It would have been, would have been so helpful if Adam and Eve had been the only two people to ever make that devastating decision. But see, it turns out that Adam and Eve, they weren't the last two people to choose to always try to seek more. It turns out they were actually simply the first. Because brothers and sisters, you and I, we, we all end up making that same devastating decision. Don't we? I mean, we all end up doing the same exact thing. We suffer from the same insatiable, insane desire for more, always more. And without really understanding what we're actually doing, we unintentionally usher in. We invite in more darkness, more destruction, more death. But praise be to God for our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God that we are not the most important characters in this story we find ourselves living in. Praise be to God that we don't just share in the Garden of Eden where everything starts to go wrong. We also share in the Garden of Easter where everything gets to start over. Where all the darkness and and all the destruction and all the death is ultimately emptied of its power to defeat us. Where everything bad starts to come undone. Oh, look, I know. If, if this terrible, horrible, no good, very bad year has reminded us of anything, it has reminded us of the fact that you and I, we have to face darkness and destruction and death every single day, that we have to deal with it, that it hasn't gone completely away. And there's no denying that at times it starts to threaten us in a way where we're pulled down to this, this sadness This disappointment that we just don't know what what we're going to do with it. We don't know how to respond to it. But brothers and sisters, I promise you, I promise you that our God is with us. No matter what's happening to us, no, no matter what is threatening us, God is with us. God has been with us. God will be with us. And all it takes, just like Mary, all it takes is a single second for God to take our our overwhelming sadness that we sometimes feel and turn it into breathtaking joy. I know it's hard to hold on. It was hard for Mary Magdalene to hold on, but she was was holding on, and it's then that she turns around and she sees the face of joy standing right in front of her. We know, don't we? We we know from our own lived experience that while it's true that we we still have to to wrestle with and deal with darkness and and destruction and death, there is far more in our lives than, than darkness and destruction and death because of God, because of God's redeeming presence, because of God's resurrection power, we all have tasted the undeniable truth that there really is a light that is stronger than any darkness, and there really is a healing that is stronger than any destruction, and there really is a life that's stronger than death itself. 
We know it. We've tasted that truth before, and we have to hold on to that knowledge. We have to hold on to the joy that we have experienced before because, brothers and sisters, the promise from God is that we will experience that joy again. We just have to hold on. Now, I, I don't want to speak for you this morning, but I do want to confess to you that I find myself here in the middle of December in the year 2020 and I, I'm really struggling to hold on to that truth. I, I am struggling to hold on to that joy. I don't know exactly when it happened, but somewhere in the last several months, I got to a place where where I lost my joy. Now, I know, I know that the joy is different and it's deeper than any fleeting feelings of happiness. I know that the joy isn't just something we experience accidentally. It's also something we have to make the decision. We have to make the choice to experience joy, to look for it. I know all of that. But I'm telling you, somewhere along the way this year, I lost, I lost my joy. And maybe that's not even the best way to say it. Maybe it's not so much that I lost my joy. Maybe it's that I lost track of it. But I've been trying to find it. And there's a part of me, if I'm completely honest with you, that's really afraid that I don't know how to find it. That I, I may never find it again. Because things have been dark for a long time. At least it feels that way to me. And everywhere I look, it seems like there are signs of, of destruction and division and death. And I know I can't be alone in that. I know that there have to be people in our church family we're having that same experience right now this year. And as we get closer to, to Christmas where we try to pretend like everything is going to be okay and, and we have a handle on everything, I think it's so important as people of faith for us to confess when it's difficult and when it's challenging and when we're afraid that we're never going to feel that joy that we long for but we're not going to feel it the way we want to. And so we come to this story and we can put ourselves, we don't, have, we don't have to try at all to put ourselves in Mary's shoes, to be there right where she is, the moment right before she realizes it's not just a gardener she's talking to, it's the face of joy. It's Jesus and she only gets to experience it, brothers and sisters, because she holds on. She finds a way to persevere. She finds a way to keep going. And that is what you and I, we're going to have to do. You know, there's a reason we have sayings in our, our world and in our culture, like it's darkest before the dawn. And I know that, that so many of us would say, okay, enough, enough. I'm ready for the dawn. But we don't get to make that decision we do get to decide whether or not we're going to hold on. Mary Magdalene, she's, she's the person who teaches us that on the other side of holding on, this new life, it's resurrection. 
It's a new life, not just for Jesus. It's a new life for all of us. It's a, it's a new life for the world. And here we are, in the middle of the season of Advent. Here we are, getting ready to celebrate the miracle of Jesus breaking into our world once again. Not only as a baby in a manger, but also as the overcoming one who has the power to rescue us from anything that threatens us, to rescue us from everything that might make us feel sad or scared or alone. Because of the resurrection, we can find the courage to name those things, to face those things, and believe that the one we trust in is faithful. And he has the power and the willingness to rescue us time after time after time. And so may we, like Mary Magdalene, may we do our very best to keep going, to keep holding on. May we do our best to keep searching for Jesus, even if we we think we don't know how to find him, that that we have this sense that if we keep searching for him, we're going to find him all over again. May we be honest about our unfulfilled longing to to encounter him, to experience him in in new and unexpected ways. And may we anticipate a moment, brothers and sisters, may, may we anticipate a moment in the very near future when we will be surprised by a joy that will never come to an end. You know, here we are in the season of Advent. We've talked about this for the last few weeks. We've talked about the the unique gifts that, that come into our lives because of the gift of Jesus. We've talked about peace and hope and today joy. And and we've been trying our, our hardest, I think to be honest, about This season being a time of understanding that we're people who are watching and waiting, but we're getting closer and closer to this moment. The world is gathering around this moment where we celebrate Jesus arriving. We we stop being people who are just watching and waiting, and we start to be people who are stepping into that experience. We're changed by it. We're rescued by it. We're saved by it. And, And because we're getting closer to that moment, I want to let you know that that for the first time this year, uh, we're wanting to offer a Christmas Eve worship service experience. Now, it's going to be online, like just about almost every aspect of church these days is is online. But we're inviting you to get to that place, right, as as we into Christmas Eve on Thursday. And then in in the middle of the night, we, we find ourselves into Christmas morning That's the moment the world has been waiting for, for Jesus to be born in us again. We want to make sure that on Christmas Eve and on Christmas Day, there's this spiritual foundation of of our family traditions. And maybe you're not going to be able to be with your family this year, and and you may be struggling with what that's going to be like. And so we don't want anyone on Christmas Eve to celebrate alone. And so if you'll just mark in your calendars that that starting at 3 o'clock on Christmas Eve, day that that you can access just this this half an hour devotional that we hope will will give us a sense of what's really what we're really celebrating that that we have a joy in our life that we only get to experience because of Jesus and and on that on that night we're going to light a fourth candle the Christ candle the candle that reminds us of this love that makes life worth living and so I want to invite you Find a way to be a part of that experience. We, we're looking forward to that celebration together. We are people who expect. We are people who anticipate. We are people who keep holding on. Brothers and sisters, that time is coming. 
It's closer to us now than it's ever been before. And I promise you, it is going to help us experience a joy that will never come to an end. Let's pray together now. God, we thank you so much for the gift of your son. We thank you for not just who he was, but for who he is. We thank you for the ways that he keeps breaking into our world and into our lives, for the new life that that his resurrection makes possible, not only for him, but for all of us, for the world. And we just pray that you help us be a part of that, that resurrection life, that you help us experience it, that you help us taste it, that, that you give us the, the strength and the, and the perseverance to keep going until we have that experience again. God, help us not only receive the story of Christmas, but to devote ourselves to helping that story continue. Not only for us, but for everyone. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, who we cannot wait to come back again. We pray. Amen. Let's sing together now.